Connecticut and Massachusetts, Z&M Homes buys houses. Sell your property to the local guys. Needs repairs, updates, maybe foreclosure or inherited? No problem. We gotcha. Google or add us on Facebook at Z-A-N-D-M-Homes.com. It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. Generally speaking, when people think of where punk rock begins, they typically point to New York City. Arguments can be made that it actually begins with the Stooges and MC5 in Michigan. And other people will tell you that it started somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. What does kind of matter is giving credit where credit is due. Now, some people will tell you that punk begins with the Ramones, or some will tell you it begins with Patti Smith, or when television played at CBGB's for the first time in 1974. Some will bring it even further back than that and claim it was the New York Dolls in 1971 or the Velvet Underground who released their first album in 1967. I think those two examples are actually a pretty decent place to start. And while all of those things are certainly relevant, people often overlook the other band that fits firmly into that equation. The name of that band were the Dictators. The Dictators were a band initially formed in upstate New York in 1971. It's a band called Crud, featuring singer-bass player Andy Chernoff and guitarist Ross the Boss Friedman. By 1973, they had come back to the city and had become one of the best bands of the bunch. By March of 1975, they would release their fantastic debut album, Go Girl Crazy, featuring Chernoff, Ross the Boss, guitarist Scott Kempner, Stewboy King on drums, and handsome Dick Manitoba, who shared some of the vocal duties with Chernoff on that first album. In total, the Dictators were released three records in the 1970s, including Go Girl Crazy in 1975, but Manifest Destiny in 1977, and Blood Brothers in 1978. By all accounts, the Dictators were a monster of a band that preceded punk and influenced as much, if not more, than anybody else. Even Bruce Springsteen was a fan of the Dictators, providing an uncredited vocal on their 1978 classic track, Faster, Louder. Since that time, the Dictators have formed and reformed a number of times, releasing a couple of amazing live albums along the way, and then reforming in 1990 as Manitoba's Wild Kingdom. And in 2001, they released a terrific comeback album entitled DFFD. And just this year, the Dictators have released a brand new single, a version of Crazy Horses, the 1972 heavy metal classic from, believe it or not, the Osmond Brothers. So here's the thing about the Dictators. They were a band of indisputable importance. Music critic John Dugan once said of the Dictators, quote, they are among the finest proto-punk bands to walk the earth. And he was absolutely right. The Dictators were incredible. A band that rocked every bit as much, if not harder than anybody else, with better songs, a greater sense of humor, and with a fearlessness that record companies and radio stations around the country in 1975 didn't really know what to do with. And that's also part of the story. My guest today is Andy Chernoff, the band's leader since the very beginning, playing bass, guitar, keyboards, and serving as the band's songwriter. He's also been a music journalist and a producer. He's been described as the Christopher Columbus of punk, which if you can ignore the spread of syphilis and alcoholism to indigenous peoples of the world, then I suppose that's not really such a bad description. This is my conversation with the legendary Andy Chernoff from The Dictators on Baxi's Musical Podcast.
This is just audio podcast, right? Yeah. I'm not like. <laughs> I just looked out, and I'm like, you know, I'm laying in my chair here. So right. that's great. Right. You're you're um you're still living in the Hudson Valley, right? I do. Yes. You yeah. do. Are you guys still getting a lot of flooding? No, not where I am. It's it's further set further south. It's flooding. Uh, I'm sure there are areas here that do flood, but where I am, I'm on a mountain. It all goes right by me. It's all my road is got ditches on both sides. It's no problem. So I, I live in the in the uh, in the Springfield area. The the Connecticut River is starting to to get really choppy and wildly polluted. So we keep it near you. Is that by your house? I live about like two towns over, two three towns over from Springfield. So okay, not, so you're, you're personally not worried about flooding though. Uh, well, I'm in my basement right now. I got a couple of wet spots on the floor, so I moved a bunch really? of stuff around. Yeah, so who knows? Hopefully, I'll I'll weather the storm. So it's uh, I'm in my basement also. <laughs> but I have a pretty quiet basement. That's I've never had any flooding. I have ditches around the house. I've done everything I can to prevent water getting away from my house. So, so before I get into any of the real big stuff, I gotta I gotta show you something. I am the proud owner of this relic. This is an original 1972 copy of Crazy Horses. I don't remember how I got it, and you can tell uh, by the looks of it, this thing has been uh, beaten to shit by me over the years. So. The dictator's version of it is just, it's so much fun. I'm, I, and I have to ask, what made you decide to to cover that song? Um, story is, we started, we, we uh, uh, reformed the band. Uh, the goal, we said, okay, well, let's, uh, let's record some songs. Let's just establish our new identity and uh, talk about stuff. And there are some songs I had written, and we did uh, two covers. And one of the covers was Crazy Horses. And let me tell you, though, <laughs> I didn't know so many people covered the song. <laughs> if I knew how many people covered the song, probably wouldn't have done it. But I like our version. I think the video is a lot of fun. It's very it's, cool. I, it's like I, it's like the monkeys or something to me. It's like very, <laughs> you know, no attitude, no punk attitude. It's just a uh, rock and roll, good solos, good melody, good playing, good singing. So... uh Thank you very much for, for making that. And uh, I actually interviewed Albert Bouchard about a week ago on the on oh, my radio show, yeah. and oh, really? and I was asking him about Blue Oyster Cult. I was asking about his uh, his solo record, and then I asked him about Crazy Horses, and, and that was the thing that got him excited. <laughs> and like he was oh, like, yeah we're, we're, "Yeah, we're happy. We're happy with the song. Yeah, we're happy with all the recordings we've done, and we just did some more recording, and it's 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 coming out really good. A lot of fun. Yeah." It's funny because he was he was talking. He spent about like you know five or six minutes talking about the the theme of his of his solo album, and then he at that point says, "Isn't it crazy that we covered a, an Osmond Brothers song?" I said, "You listen to the theme of, of of your solo record, and this is the crazy part." I thought, "No, I know, I know. the the storyline of Imaginos is uh, <laughs> you know science fiction, and here's a fun little pop tune." So I, I'm yeah. I'm I'm reading about uh, you know about the the single and I've, you know looked at the EP and it's you know a bunch of great songs that you guys have done before, but I'm also reading that there is the plan is that a new album is is coming out. What what can you tell me about that? We're recording a new album, but we're going to be releasing songs every few months. We have another song ready for September. We have a, a, a European Spanish tour mm -hmm. and we. Have for a big tour on the East Coast. We'll see if that actually occurs. So we have things in the fire. And then after that, 
we have a song we're going to re-release every december re-promote every december called festivus about the holiday of festivus which is in december and then in january february we're going to release another new song and i i suspect uh by the end of this year we'll have a a, a new album completed all 10 11 12 songs whatever we decide and we have a company that's going to release it digitally. We have another company that's going to release it on vinyl. And uh, we'll make sure everything's coordinated. And, you know, but the thing is, this is the thing. You release an album. Two weeks after you release the album, people forget. Because there's so much stuff coming out. Think of Paul McCartney or Bruce, Bruce Springsteen releases records all the time. And who knows? I mean, I, I can't remember what his last record was. The last one, <laughs> I, I love Western Stars. I don't know. And it wasn't a hit. To me, that was a hit record through and through. So we're doing, we're going to keep putting out stuff, keeping people's, you know, maintain visibility and see what happens. Look, you know, the dictators were never a, uh, uh, we have no hit records, you know, we had an audience, but we have no huge following. So, you know, we're just going to keep making music we like, see what happens. You know, we're a bunch of old guys, you know? <laughs> as, I, as I sang in the song, uh, let's get the band back together. Senior citizens don't give a damn. <laughs> we don't care, you know? I've been to this rodeo. I understand. We're here to have a good time, make music, because every day you make music is a good day. Yeah. And we have really good bands, and we're having a lot of fun. So we will continue on that path. And... We'll release an album, and after we release the album, we'll put out songs after that because we're going to re-record re, re we record digitally. We record direct, to, and we record in our own home studios. We pass files back and forth, back and forth. Very long process, very long process, but we get it done, you know, because everybody is all over the place in the, on, the, on, the, on the East Coast here. So. You mentioned about the, the commerciality of the dictators when they were out, and, and you know, obviously— you know, the dictators were, they had this interesting place in history in a way, you know, in 74, 75, there's not a lot of bands doing what you're doing. And you kind of fall in this Nobody. time, time Nobody frame. Nobody doing Nobody. Yeah. But yeah. And like, even, even as you kind of fill the gap between the, you know, the New York Dolls and the Ramones, you can't say that you had any sort of blueprint to do what the dictators were doing. What was the, the thought behind that? Were you just guys just trying to have a great time or was it something different than that i had this fanzine when i was in college called teenage we saying gazette and it sort of the band became sort of like the uh physical manifestation of the fanzine basically a bunch of wise guys making <laughs> jokes all the time you know uh, we were naive but we were we were basically trying to have a good time as i'm saying now just trying to have a good time we weren't serious about our uh, direction, you know, we really got signed a little early. Sandy Perlman is a visionary. He saw something in us. I have no idea what the fuck he saw in us. <laughs> but months after we became a band, and Scott and I had never been in a band before. He came up. I was going to school in Newport. We lived in a house in Kronks. And Sandy Perlman comes up and says, I'm going to get you a deal. He got us a deal. We recorded hmm. our album in 1974. We were in the studio when the Ramones did their very, very first show at CBGB's in August of 74. Released the record in early 75, I think it was March. And in that time, 
we we had no place to play, but CBGBs had just started booking bands. So we we had a small we were able to develop an audience there and develop our show a little bit. And uh I don't know, I went off on a tangent there. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's 50 years ago. You can remember that. Yeah. Literally 50 years ago. So, uh, you know, I was only 10 years old at the time. <laughs> when I've talked to people that had, had seen you back you know, in, in those early days, they all kind of say the same thing, that when you guys were playing live, the dictators are kind of untouchable. It was like it was such a good band. The songs were so good. You played so well that other bands were kind of in awe of the dictators and what they were doing. Yeah, we got a little earlier start. We developed our professional uh, abilities a little earlier. And we were also very mainstream in our sound. You know, we were a hard rock band. We had punk elements. We certainly had punk attitudes. But it was a lot of riff-based songs versus the Ramones was a lot of downstrokes. And I don't know. People said that. I guess that's good. That's good. I'll take that. When you think back to, I mean, you said you got signed a, a little bit early. And, and, and that may very well be true but what would happen like in the next two to five years and a little bit maybe even be after that you guys were putting out by that point you put out like you know three albums by 78 79 did you feel like that you just weren't getting the credit that you deserved i mean when you say that it wasn't commercially successful i listen to those records man i mean all three of them are great i'm just wondering if if you ever felt like there should have been more attention paid to the dictators rather than all on the Ramones or, you know, all on the, the heartbreakers or whoever it may have been. Uh, I have no complaints. I had a great career. I've worked constantly. I've been, uh, I have uh, like over 200 credits as a producer, writer, player, songwriter. I can't complain. What we did, we put out a record in 1975, which was just really kind of wild, not, not really well produced, not really well played by us. But it had an attitude that people really hadn't were not familiar with at the time. We got our second deal, got dropped very quickly. We got our second deal, and we decided, let's make a commercial record. Let's make a record that radio could play. Let's not be so weird. Let's try to be successful. And basically, we made the, the wrong record at the right time, because 1977 was the time to make the wacky record. Right. Because all of a sudden, was an audience and we made sort of a straightforward pop record that really didn't represent the band you know as much as i love pop music we don't we don't have you know we didn't have the singer to do that even though our drummer was a good singer and he sang a lot of the more melodic songs i'm not i don't listen to that record it's a little self-indulgent and what happened is we went to england at the end of 77 and i we were there when those sex pistols record came out we're touring with the stranglers you know, we met the Clash, you know, and and all all, all the bands. So it was happening there, and I saw basically I saw rock and roll Nirvana. You know, where the rock and roll that I loved, which is short three minute songs, attitude. It was a total revolution. It was so exciting. The audience was huge. It was affecting fashion, politics, culture, and we came back. And I wrote uh, Blood Brothers really, really quickly. If we had put out that. Blood Brothers record in 77 instead of 78, I think our future might have been different. But of course, uh, hindsight is uh, 2020. You mentioned that you know Epic had, had dropped you after the first record, Go Girl Crazy. And then you very quickly, very quickly. Was there was there... no chance 
of that record being a success. Right. No, we gave them a record that was as uncommercial for that time <laughs> as any record ever made in 1975. Well, I mean, they they so, had to they had to look at that record kind of you know cockeyed. Being you got you know an album that's got you know California Sun, I got you, babe, you know, handsome Dick's pro wrestling thing. Back to Africa, you know, perfect. And, and and the the album cover, which is the goofiest thing, you know, that maybe has ever been put out. I mean, when you presented this record to them, did did they have any clue what to do with it, or they just not do it? I have no idea. I really, really I was so I was completely removed from any kind of aspect of the business. Sandy and Murray, Murray worked at Columbia. These were our managers and producers: Sandy Crew, uh, Sandy Perlman, Murray Krugman. I owe my career to them. I, 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 I don't know if I'd be, my life was changed inexorably positively by my meeting them. I owe these guys a lot. They put me on the path into music. I don't know what, what was happening, but you know, look, we made the record we made, you know, and uh, I can't, nothing can go back and change it. It's the most uncommercial record ever. <laughs> and, in 1975, not only was it uncommercial, it was like uh, thrown in the trash heap, you know. Now, it has been re-released a dozen times around the world since then. Even in America, it's been re-released and remixed, and, you know, people people like it. You you, you say it's, it's you know, uncommercial, and that may have been the, the result of it. But, you know, when I hear, you know, the songs that, that you have written over the years, not just in the first album, but certainly on Blood Brothers, you are ripping out some great songs. Your, you. your your talent as a songwriter, I don't, I don't think can can be questioned. I mean, those songs are are fantastic. But by the time seventy eight seventy seven rolls around, the second album briefly showed up on on a chart at like one eighty nine. The third one didn't chart. After those three records had been released, did you, did the wind just kind of come out of your sails, or was because you took a little bit of a break after that? Well, yeah, seventy eight. Uh, well, the single was single was on drugs, uh, and it was not possible we had been dropped for the second time so it sort of uh, sort of fell apart ross joined this band uh shaken street so it really wasn't you know we fell apart for a few years but we got offers in new york because we still have offers in new york so people say hey you want to play and we'll give you a whole bunch of money and we we usually said yes so we did a bunch of shows we put out a live cassette only uh fuck them if they, if they can't take a joke <laughs> on a little roar and we, we, we would do shows every once in a while. And I, everybody did their own. Scott had the Dell Lords. I was producing bands. I was writing songs. And then things changed in, in, in the 90s. 95, we played a show at CBG. And uh, this is right after Green Day was successful. Right. So Punk was making some kind of a weird comeback. Please Kill Me was out. Uh and we played at CBGB's, and this uh, Spanish promoter said, hey, he was at the show. He says, hey, do you want to come and tour Spain? We go, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. So we toured Spain. It was very successful. Next year, he says, why don't you come? Let's come back to Spain. And a promoter in Sweden heard that we're going to Spain. He says, why don't you tour Sweden while you're, as long as you're in Spain? So we did both. And it sort of jump-started, that jump-started everything. And we were we started playing more. And I said, well, let's make a record. And we made uh, DFFD, which I'm very mm -hmm. proud of because it contains, it's a reunion record after 20 years. DFFD came out in 2001. 
We hadn't made a real record since 1978, but it contains one of our most popular songs. And I think it's very rare for bands to reunite <laughs> and then uh, have one of the most popular songs, which is Who Will Save Rock and Roll. And then there were problems. We broke up after that. And I uh, I, I did solo stuff. I produced records. In fact, you produced a, you know, a good deal of records. You, you, you mentioned about the, the the credits you have. I mean, you know, some of them include, you know, Guided by Voices, the Smithereens, the Barracudas. I mean, it's a pretty, yeah. pretty interesting stuff. What got you into producing at that point it was was it something that you always wanted to do or is it something you just kind of fell on your lap i i said wow uh, the, the the vision the songs i hear in my head are not coming out on tape how do you do it so i went through a process i worked at eight track studios uh, i experimented i got bands let me work with them and I, I i eventually developed my skills and uh where i think i'm, I'm a pretty good producer engineer uh, also, when I time, you know, I play. I was playing with the Ramones. I was played on Ramones records. I played on Joe Ramone whenever he played solo. I played with him and played on his his solo records. You know, I, I was really busy. Again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making hits, but I'm I'm, I'm like a journeyman. You know? Yeah, you even said yourself, any day you're making music is a good day. That's that's the essence of uh, that's my mantra, and that's the mantra that dictators now because yeah. we're a bunch of old guys. And hey, we're making music. We're pretty fucking happy guys. Let me tell you. I bet. And when we make this is how it goes. This is what Albert. I said this to Albert and I forgot about it. And Albert remembered it. Every day you make music is a good day. Every day you make music with other musicians is a better day. Every day you make music with other musicians on stage, it doesn't get better. So that's the how the dictators get through life now. You, uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned that you had written, you had your own fanzine when you were, you know, a lot younger and fanzines were like, became kind of this important phenomenon, you know, throughout, especially, you know, those punk years where, you know, you had a lot of guys writing with, you know, about their favorite bands, hoping to get into shows, uh, as a result of it. Tell me about, uh, about your experience with that, having your own fanzine and, uh, and what fanzines would mean later on. Well, at one point, I thought I was going to be, I wanted to be a rock writer, <laughs> a rock critic. I don't know. At, at, in the early 70s, I really admired Richard Meltzer, Nick Tashi, Lisa Bangs. These guys all became my friends. They encouraged me, mentored me in many ways. And it was a way to get free records. That's what <laughs> I was really looking for. How do I get free records? I got a magazine. Get on the list for all the record companies, and they send you free records. And I used to get free records every day. Eventually, I don't know how we formed it. Well, we formed a band. You know, I, I, that's a whole another story. I go into that story. But it, I, I just thought it was a, a way to express myself when I was a kid. I was a teenager. And uh, I would, my, my fanzine was basically fiction. I would make up stories. I would make up concerts. It wasn't serious. Uh, as I said, dictators followed the teenage wasteland gazette theme. So I, I thought it was a career path at, at when I when I started. Of course, uh, you never know where it's, things are going to lead. <laughs> Have you ever thought about writing now a book of your own about your career, or is that uh, is that too much? I think that'd be a pretty boring book. I don't think uh, <laughs> anybody'd be interested. But uh, I, I get it. If someone wanted a ghost. Oh, somebody's writing a book about the dictators, actually, right now. Yeah, this guy's doing uh, 
a book about the dictators. He's interviewing everybody. It might take a while before he uh, is done. Uh, but he's he's a serious guy. I would actually think that'd be really interesting because it, again, it, you fit into this into this sweet spot of of an important change in the way people were listening to music at that time. You know, 1974 through 78 were I mean, really amazing times when you consider what was coming in very before exciting. that. Very exciting time in music. Yeah. Very absolutely. Yeah, you know, and you think about you know some of the the bands that were around back then. And and the the, the quality of, of the music, yeah, everything from you know television to Talking Heads to the Ramones, I mean, you just go on and on about who who was there. I mean, pretty fertile stuff. I would think that's that story could be you know told in a million different ways. Well, we'll see if this guy could tell it and people care. I wouldn't put the time in if it was a ghostwriter who wanted to write my story. Somebody wanted to publish it. I guess I would consider it, but um, I'm not all that interested. In uh, telling my story, I don't think it. I don't think it's that interesting. You know, I'll be. I'll be honest. You know, I think I'm a kind of a boring guy who likes to make music, and that's what I like to do. You know, thankfully, people like enough people like my music that I may have been able to continue doing what I love to doing. My hobbies are my life. Uh, I had another hobby. I was in the wine business for a while. I, I, that was another hobby. I got very lucky. I got had a great job in the wine business. Back uh, from 2005 to 2010, uh, this was right when Napster was coming out and, and there were changes. And I saw that, wow, I'm not getting these offers to do this record anymore. And I got a great offer to work with a guy who won the James Beard Award, or some uh, one of the best sommeliers in New York. He opened a store. He asked me to help him. And I worked with him for five, six years. And I, it was a fantastic experience. I, I owe this guy. And again, another guy. So I owe him so much. Like I said, yeah. uh, two, uh, you know, you gotta, when people come into your life and they change it for the positive, all I could do is go, wow, how did this happen? How did I get so lucky? Is that the reason why you moved out of the city or were you already out of the city before the wine? No, 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 no. I moved out of the city. Well, I bought this house 10 years ago. Uh, but I still had in my apartment in New York because I wasn't sure. But I thought I didn't think I wanted to grow old in New York City. And things were changing in New York. I just I felt uh, and my wife wanted to be in the country. So uh, I sold my apartment in New York in 2019, in November 2019, right before the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I got I got a, uh, and I sold for a lot of money because it's one of these. New York stories where I, I bought this apartment in a, in a industrial area. It was, you know, nobody was there. And here, and then 10 years later, it's hotels. It's like Soho. It's a restaurant. So I had, a, and I've had a big apartment with a nice backyard. So it was really worth a lot of money near a great location. And I got a lot of money, which allowed to, you know, live my retirement lifestyle. But, and then around that time, actually around that same time is when dictators formed. Yeah. Ross, well, I might as well tell the story. I guess you're interested in sure. that story. Okay, so uh, we had, I had not been in touch with Ross. I've been in touch with Scott. But uh, we had money being held at Sound Exchange uh, for a few years. Uh, Manitoba was, Matt, our old singer, Hampstead Manitoba, was preventing us from getting the money. He wouldn't agree sign off on the money so uh me ross and scott are in developed we had to communicate how do we do this sound exchange sound exchange collects digital royalties for artists and 
uh, record and and rights owners, whoever owns the rights to a song. So we had a lot of money sitting there, and we can't get it, and we want our money. So uh, Sound Exchange said, "We'll offer you a mediator. Let's settle this." Manitoba didn't want to do it. Eventually, he just okay he gave up, and we got our money. And Ross goes to me and Scott, "Hey, why don't we reform the band?" So uh, that's the last thing I was thinking. I was happy camper. I didn't. I didn't. I was playing in bands locally, right in my area. <clears throat> I'm doing solo stuff. I'm doing some production things. I'm having a good. You know, life is life is good. I didn't want. I didn't really want to do it. I thought it was just going backwards. Scott wanted to do it. Scott's one of my best buddies. So I said, "All right, I'll give it a shot. If I don't like it, I'll back out. You right. know, there's no no thing here." So, uh, so me, Scott, and Ross decided, okay, we're going to reform the band. And we said, who do you want to play drums? And I said, let's get, uh, let's get Albert. I called up Albert. <laughs> and I said, Albert, I'll ask you a question, but you, you, you have to say yes. I will not accept no as an answer. Do you want to play with the dictators? He goes, sure. <laughs> and he's been with and Albert is, Albert has uh, a lot of skills, a lot of musical skills. He's a songwriter. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a producer, he's an engineer, he's really good with vocals, arranging vocals, uh, drummer, you know, he just contributes so much. So we were going to do it with Albert, but uh, we have a, now we have the sad part of the story is that Scott Kempner, one of my best friends in the world, uh, developed early stage dementia, mm. which his father had, his father eventually died from. And it's the same thing that Malcolm Young had from ACDC. So uh, we really never got to use his skills. We were always kind of hopeful that Scott was going to come around and we'd be able to use him in some way. But it's a disease that once you got it, it just it just goes downhill. There's no cure. Yeah. There's no back. Once you get dementia, they, they, they don't have a cure. So... It took us a while to really realize that, you know, I guess we were hoping something different was going to happen. So eventually uh, we said, okay, we got to get another member. Albert recommended uh, Keith Roth. We all knew. Right. I knew he was a DJ. He's a DJ on Sirius. Uh, I had never worked with him musically. Albert had worked with him musically. Ross a little bit had worked with him. And so I checked him out. I looked, just did a search for him on uh, on YouTube, and uh, I heard him sing. I said, "Wow, this guy's a good singer." I didn't necessarily like the song he was singing, but he's a good singer. So we invited him down, and and it just clicked right away. I mean, he's 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 ten years younger than us, but he's from the Bronx. His brother, his older brother, knew Scott. The first, literally, the first he he claims. <laughs> The first record he ever bought in his life was the Dictators Go Girl Crazy. <laughs> the same sense of humor. The guy is great. He's a great singer. And uh, that's how we got the band. That's how we got the band back. Yeah. Dude. He did a great job on Crazy Horses. I mean, it just it just sounds awesome. I sang the first. I sang the first verse. He sang the second verse. He recorded that before he was in the band. So that was his first. That was his entrance. But he's singing. Our next single, he sings. 100%. And uh, all the stuff we're recording there, he'll sing, uh, I'd say, most of the stuff. Maybe Albert has a song. He might sing it. There's a song I might sing. We'll see. But 
Most he's he's the lead singer. He yeah. is the guy in the front and the shows we know we just did a damn tour. He, he did a great job as front man. He's very comfortable talking to people. Talk, he's a DJ, so he's always he's got the gift of gab that I don't have. Uh, so we're very happy. We're a bunch of happy campers yeah. here. You know, I know that you probably get asked about Manitoba quite a lot, and I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want that get, much. I don't want to much. Get, really, I don't want to get into too much of the of the details of it. I know it's an unsa- a largely unsalvageable situation, but and I, do, I and I know what it's like to be in a professional situation where those relationships just tend to run their course. But when people ask you about, when they do ask you about it, you know, how do you navigate through that? I mean, obviously, there's some there's some anger there, some uh, some distrust, and and you know, for, for various reasons, but when you do get asked about it, how do you, you know, work your way through that? Or do you? I try to be honest. Uh, you know, we're trying to, you know, he, he's a difficult guy. We're trying to dissolve the corporation, the dictator's corporation. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's just, he's not a cooperative guy. You know, I, I don't, I don't need to go into, people could go on Google that's why I'm not asking you for details on it, because I mean I know it's I mean it's it's out I don't there. want I, I don't even go into details. You know we acknowledge him. Yeah, big big part of the history of the band. We're trying to get him. We're trying to set up these new deals so he can make money on the old records, but he he doesn't he doesn't cooperate. So we're we're trying to do a, a legal separation. It'll it'll happen soon. Yeah, and we'll go our way. We'll go his way. And, uh, you know, I, I look, you're not going to see me putting him down in print yeah. or on podcast. I'm not going to do that. No, of course I, not. I wasn't asking you to. I just, you know, it's, I just know that your know, difficult situations, you know, sometimes require a little bit of not diplomacy, but a little bit of, you know, strategizing and, and massaging a little bit. But I totally understand where you're, where you're coming from on that. We have a, we have a new lawyer who dealt with cream. Mm. Who had <laughs> and Jack Bruce hated each other. He also dealt with the rascals. He knows these dynamics of a band, how some people have issues that prevents them from acting reasonably and acting in their own best interests. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want, if I talk more, I might, I don't want to say something that's uh, denigrating. Sure. You know, we don't want to do that. Nobody in the band wants to do that. We just want to make music. And uh, when when we've done the actual legal separation, we're going to be happy, happy, happier guys than we are now. I bet. Well, I mean, I I have to say you're off to a great start with uh, with Crazy Horses. And uh, I'm... we have other songs out before that. Also, you didn't mention uh, uh, Goddamn New York. Yeah, let's get the band back together, which I we're, we're pretty proud of. Also, they're all good. They're all awesome. And, and you know, it makes me. It makes me want to hear more of what's coming because they're all just so well done. And, and, and really, it sounds like the dictators, which is great. Thank yeah. you so much. The next song, by the way, I think our next song is we're, we, we think this is it's a, it's, a, it's a hit in dictator land. It's called Thank You and Have a Nice Day. We might have even called the album that. So uh, we, we're, we're, having to, we're making music we like. You know, we got a bunch of tours coming up. You know, we're busy recording. And enjoying enjoying ourselves. So all is good. That's great. Andy, I appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Take care. The new single from the Dictators is the Osmond Brothers track Crazy Horses with more promised on the way. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like it, review it, share it with all your friends. Be sure to get regular updates on social media. And you can also email me 
at BaxAtRock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks to ZM Home Buyers for their support, and thanks to you for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.